All right, man, what a great uh, song to end with. I just want to go back to the lyric, uh, the first verse, just to kind of get us back in our in our scripture text. Since <clears throat> it's a song that we're all familiar with, uh, sometimes familiarity uh, stops us from really hearing the words of it. Uh, you sang it beautifully, by the way. You guys sound like an old church, man, old church choir. But... Uh, the first verse says that uh, when peace like a river attends my way and sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, you've taught me to say it as well with my soul. Uh, so n- no matter what the circumstances, everything's good. It doesn't matter what, what I'm going through. There's, there's, a, there's some, something substantial and permanent that's going on on the inside that allows me to be able to deal with the outside. Uh, you know, we we talk about uh, different different ways that, and we'll talk about that today. Different ways that we deal with life if we really have godliness, uh, and we'll talk about godliness today. But, but godliness lends itself to handling life and circumstances differently. When there's something different on the inside, then it shows up on the outside. Uh, I don't know how most of you grew up, but I would I would assume that most of us grew up in the same kind of circumstance that. You had to make the outside look like everything was all right on the inside. That's a form of godliness, all right? And that's what, for a long time, I preached to because that's what I grew up hearing. I thought that sermons, you know, your sermons were supposed to be talking people into changing the way they look on the outside rather than trying to, to get in touch with what God wants for them on the inside. And so uh, the gathering place is about us coming to know God and uh, leading people to know God, to know him personally so that the inside uh, comes to life, right? And then the outside begins to show a different fruit, right? Just like if, if a tree, if you don't know what kind of tree, tree you, what kind of fruit tree you planted, that would be kind of weird, first of all. But if you didn't know what kind of fruit, fruit tree you planted, when the spring comes, you're going to figure it out. Why? You're going to see it on the branches. Uh, although if you don't know what kind of fruit tree you planted, you probably won't have anything come out on the branches. But it, it compares well to what we're talking about. The Christian life is that way. If there's a change on the inside, it's going to show up on the outside. Right? Right? Y'all with me? Say, oh, yeah. All right. Just making sure. All right, so that's, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to keep moving forward in First Timothy. We've been talking about uh, really what it looks like whenever something changes on the inside. Uh, Paul's telling Timothy to make sure that the people understood that uh, there's something that needs to happen on the inside. That's real godliness that begins to come out when the, when the inside gets changed. We're going to go back and look at that because, because Paul does in the letter. He brings it back up in this last chapter, uh, trying to help him to understand and make sense of what all we've been talking about. Y'all still, yeah, everybody alert today? Yeah, I'm not asking for feedback. I'm just asking. I just feel like we're kind of distracted still. Okay, so before we get started, I want to make sure everybody's on. Everybody, everybody on? All right. I'm not fussing. Rachel, quit acting like I'm fussing. Why are you looking at me like that? All right, so, so we're going to talk about that, that, this aspect of how life changes, all right, how your life changes whenever you come in contact with God. That's what we've been talking about. The elders are good examples of that. We're, we're about to, to uh, uh, present some potential elders to the body, and, uh, and you're going to make a decision about that. Also, some of you are feeling called to be deacons, if you are. Uh, this you you will both elders and deacons will be men and and women who stand up and and demonstrate what it looks like when someone has true godliness a life that's been changed on the inside that's resulting in or showing up on the outside all right so we're going to talk about that and continue to talk about that we've, we've looked at a lot of different characteristics that are the result of an inside change but today we're going to pick up in verse 5 of chapter 6 and, uh, and just tear that apart for a little bit. But it deals with it as well with my soul, with that concept. I, I, don't, uh, I don't know if Kobe read that in the text and decided to do this song because of that. or No? I figured. He's not that good of a planner. Uh, no, not really. I like that. That means God put it together, right, instead of Kobe. But it's perfect, a perfect song uh, to, to go along with what God is saying in this text today. All right, so picking up in verse 5, where we left off last week. By the way, last week, remember, we talked about the puffer fish, about being puffed up, 
and how the, the false teachers, the problem with the false teachers in their day, and by the way, also in our day, is that they stand over here in religion, and they, they shout out to people over there in sin and also to people that, uh, that are vulnerable, hey, you've got to act a certain way in order to be right with God. And, and they argue over words, and, and uh, they're, they're all about lifting themselves up and making themselves look good, but they don't even know what the words mean. They know what they mean by definition, but they don't know on the inside. And so they're just puffed up, and it's causing envy and strife and dissension among the people, uh, particularly, he says, people who, are, who are, are not believers, who don't have the ability to be able to understand truth. And so, uh, so we pick up there uh, as he goes on in this chapter and he begins to talk about contentment. All right, so in verse 6 he says, But godliness, contentment is, uh, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we content, cannot take anything out of the world. But if we, have, if we have food and clothing with these things, we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. All right, that's all we'll cover today. We're going to just take that apart real quick. All right, first of all, the first word of of this passage is what? You can say button church. Go ahead. Button church. All right, but. He says but. And so that means we've got to look back, right? Uh, so I always use, you know, use therefore. If you have therefore, you've got to see what it's, what it's there for. All right, but's another one of those words. If you come to a but in a text, then, uh, then you have to go back and say what with a but. Right? Or what before the but? You can do it however you want to. It should lead you to go back, right? Because if I said something, if I just started a conversation, but, you would go, but what? What What before the but? All right? Everybody enjoying that? Got it, though? What before the but? Before the but. All right, so here we go. What before the but? What was he talking about uh, right before this passage? Uh you know, he, he's saying there was, there's a contrast that's fixing to happen between what, what he just said, all right? And the contrast uh, is to what we're about to describe as godliness, what godliness is. He said true godliness, not godliness that's perceived as godliness, all right? Before this passage, he was talking about godliness that led to, uh, to financial gain. I don't know what just happened, but I was feeling like I was having a, a moment. All right. That drew your attention to the scripture, though, didn't it? All right. He was talking about godliness. Uh, they were talking about godliness as a means of financial gain. These puffed up, conceited teachers uh, and preachers or whatever you want to call them in their day uh, were doing what they were doing, and they were doing it in order to get financial gain. All right. Remember that in verses, uh, verses 4 through 6. Let's go back to last week real quick. He said, this guy who's, who's puffing himself up, this guy who's teaching and leading uh, in order to, to, uh, to, to puff, to, because of conceit, to, to make people look at him and see him. It says he has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, uh, the constant friction among people. All right, stop there for, first. There's the poison of the puffer fish, right? If you do finally eat, the puffer fish, or if you take in the teachings of false teachers, that is, people who are building themselves up, if you buy into all these arguments over words and disputes and all this stuff about religious beliefs and all that, and you, you fight about it, and, and these teachers are building themselves up with it, and you bite, you become twice the sons of hell that they are, according to the Scripture. All right? You, you have taken in the poison because that kind of stuff causes envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, uh, all in constant friction, right, which we have all seen. We've all seen it in this community. And unfortunately, it's for, in the last part of that verse, what does he say? Who, who, who suffers because of that? He says, 
the people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining godliness, not this godliness that we're going to talk about today, but imagining godliness for personal gain to be something worth having. So people were looking at these religious leaders, which, by the way, they were struggling because there were so many people beginning to follow Jesus that they weren't giving money anymore to support uh, the, the religious rulers, right? There was a big financial drop because they were also giving money to support themselves and the, and the people that they were selling possessions and giving to each one, each other as they had need. So there was a, you know, there was a loss of gain for these teachers. They were having issues uh, with the fact that they couldn't get out of the people the money they used to be able to get, which they used all different ways to get that because people were worried about uh, uh, pleasing these, these false teachers. And so they were trying to get gained by all that stuff, and it was hurting the people that had, who were still deprived of truth and whose minds were still blinded. They weren't, they weren't understanding the truth as a result of these leaders in the church, right? And so he says, in, he says, but, even though their godliness their form of godliness, their religious activity, and their arguing and, and their conceit and all that stuff, even though that stuff was not godliness, there is a godliness that all of us should pursue. He says, but, he said, godliness with contentment is great gain. True godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, Paul wanted the church to know First of all, that he wasn't the kind of church that received gain, that was doing what he was doing for the, for the sake of receiving money. He talks about it a lot. We have the same issue today. There are a lot of people, a lot of ministers in all different denominations and, and outside of denominations, and parachurch organizations that are doing what they do, and, and some of them well-meaning, but a lot of them not. Uh, and end up in, as high-profile leaders who are doing what they do in order to gain financial uh, gain. They're doing it to get money. They're doing it to, be, to make a name for themselves in the same way that these people were. And so there was an issue there, and Paul knew it. I mean, this isn't the first time or the only time that Paul talks about it because he wants people to know, I'm not doing this in order to get something out of you. There's something bigger than that going on with me. In the church of Thessalonica, there was a big issue with this, apparently, because Paul takes the time to deal with it and deal with it clearly. Look at what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 and 7, 3 through 7. He says, Our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. And there's before God who judges our hearts, we are doing this with the right, for the right reasons. We are trying to get the message of Christ out. For we never came with words of flattery. In other words, they didn't say things to make people feel good, to make people gather around and say, wow, you guys are great speakers and you have a lot of great knowledge. It wasn't for the sake of deceit and puffing themselves up. He said, we didn't care about that. He said, uh, Uh, So we didn't do it for words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is our witness. We didn't do it to gain financial uh, support from you guys. So then why did we do it? Well, also, he didn't say we didn't do it to seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So apparently there was a problem. Right, a regular problem that existed in the church of Paul's day. As, as young as the church was, there were already people who were trying to, to get personal gain out of the body by doing ministry, whatever that was. Now, he, it was false teachers in First Timothy. It was guys who were not teaching right. They were trying to keep the authority that they had over people even though they believed in Jesus and now were free to just walk in a relationship with God, which is true godliness. They didn't like it because they weren't getting personal gain from that. And so they're trying to draw everybody back. You know, okay, that Jesus thing was cool for a while. Now come back over here. Come back and live by the rules again and, and let us tell you how you're supposed to live. And the, and the reason they were doing that was for personal gain. So it was a big issue, and Paul wanted them to know that was not why he did what he did. Okay? Unfortunately, guys, 
the people we just described in the, in the passage in, in, in verse 6, who are depraved of mind and deprived of truth that live in this community, in the Bible Alexandria area, live in the South, live in the Bible Belt, they, they have the same problem. Because so many high-profile people will lift themselves up and conceit and do what they do and gain exorbitant incomes from it. And I'm not, look, a church needs to take care of their pastor however they feel led to do it. But who, who have, a name, have made a name for themselves and have been seen and understood to be people who are doing it for personal gain from those who are depraved of mind and deprived of truth, people in the community, it hurts me. It hurts us as a church. It gives us a reputation, whether we like it or not. People assume that the reason why we do what we do is because we're trying to gain people and a name for ourselves and gain money to be able to have a, a great income for the pastor. Look, that, I was in that trap for a while. When I first started in ministry, I wanted to get bigger churches, bigger churches, because there's better income with bigger churches. All of you are doing the same thing in your jobs, right? You're trying to rise up in your jobs. But is it right for us to rise up in our positions, uh, even in, in uh, secular jobs, in order to gain more money if it's not the result of God leading you to do it? I would say no. I would say that's the same form of godliness that these Pharisees had. It was the same form of godliness that says, I'm going to do what I do for, in, for, for income rather than doing what I do in order to be obedient to God. You be obedient to God, the income you need will be, it will, will be provided for your family. Everybody believe that? It's going to happen. It doesn't matter what you do. Look, one does not produce the other. Uh, if I get a big job, that doesn't produce godliness. It happens the other way. If I, produce, if, I, if I live for God, then godliness and the income I need to take care of myself will happen. They're not, you can't go the opposite way. We have to stay true to what God considers to be godliness. So, uh, so Paul wanted to make sure that those things had produced envy and dissension and slander and evil suspicions. And I'm saying it does the same thing here. And we have to address that and know that. I want you to know, not for any other reason than... Uh, I want you to be secure in this because it also affects the church. I want you to know that I do what I do because I love God. I think everyone here has figured that out, okay? I'm not in this for the money. As a matter of fact, if you haven't already, I, I've said this from the pulpit in relation to you taking care of me when we covered this, this section on double honor. I don't, I'm trying to get out of pay here, not out of a job. I want to do this. Uh, this is my passion, but I don't want you paying me. I would rather take that money and let's, let's get creative in, in staffing to be able to take care of this, of this area where we live and, and be able to minister more effectively in this community. And I can do what I do without you paying me uh, if, if God will provide income for me, which he's, it looks like that's happening. Uh, so just to let you know, that's where my heart is. And I, I know you guys know that, but I want to say that again. I'm not in this for what you take, how you take care of me. Uh, but the world is skeptical about the motives of leaders in ministry. And you need to be able to share with people, uh, you know, that I'm not in this for what you pay me. I think the church also is skeptical, and you need to know that for yourselves. But two other problems, I think, result when a pastor works for personal gain. One is that they can be manipulated. A pastor who does what he does for personal gain can be manipulated. Um, I have good news and bad news for you guys. I don't care about personal gain. That's good news. Number two, maybe bad news, I can't be manipulated. You can't tell me what to do. All right? You don't have that right. Yeah, I guess y'all know that, right? Welcome to the gathering place. You don't tell this pastor what to do. I'm going to live for God, and you need to see that. You need to see that I'm going to be committed to God. It doesn't matter what the church says or how the church decides that, that, uh, what, they, what you like or don't like about me. Uh, you know, I'm not doing this for personal gain. And when pastors do it for personal gain, they can be manipulated. I know because I've been there. When I was climbing the ladder trying to get a bigger church and more income for me and my family, then I had to, I had to compromise in, in a lot of cases what I really was feeling in my heart in order to keep a job. And, and, I, and there's pastors that, that I know that have spent their whole careers and they get miserable toward the end of their life because they're tired of living a lie. But that's what happens 
That, that was what could have happened in, in, in the church in Paul's day. And that's what happens whenever we do what we do for personal gain. Also, I think it's a problem because the church doesn't see a true motive for service. I think you don't see it. When I'm doing what I do for personal gain, then you say, okay, well, he's the paid pastor, so he should do that. That's why he does that. I'm glad I'm not the paid pastor. I don't have to do that. Is that true? No, it's not. You have to do whatever I do. You have to ask God what you're supposed to do and do it. You are as responsible as I am. And when a pastor does what he does for personal gain, I think it communicates to the body, well, we pay him to do that so we don't have to do it. No, I'm not going to do your ministry in this church. You're going to do it. Or it's not going to get done. And you guys know that. We would have a house full of babies today uh, making a bunch of racket if people were not called to do that ministry and were faithful to do it on Sunday mornings. And they're doing it because they're called to do it, not because uh, all of us need to take our turn. That's not that, right? And so you have the same responsibility I do in regard to this. For a person that's going after God, I mean with passion, who's really wanting to pursue God with passion, like Paul was saying that we need to be, like Timothy was, the approval of men and the approval that, uh, of men to be able to provide income for them is no longer uh, means anything. And that's because he or she has realized that godliness that's produced by the indwelling spirit, by walking with God, is way more satisfying than, than anybody could ever pay you to replace. I, I love God. I love walking with God. I would never compromise that ever again in order to get a job in the ministry. I'm done with that. If I can't be myself and be God's and that be enough for me to lead a ministry, then I don't need a church. My church will be me and my wife as long as she follows what I say. No, I'm just kidding. As long as we walk in together. That's what I love about this church. We're all walking together in this, right? All right. It's a beautiful thing whenever godliness happens. So godliness, he says, is what's important. Not that old kind of godliness, so I want to deal with that. But let's talk about what kind of godliness he is talking about. He says godliness with contentment is great gain. Now, remember when Paul's speaking of, uh, of godliness, he's not talking about the type of godliness that, that comes from outside rules. Right? He's not talking about the kind of godliness that's on a list and you follow the list or that, that's on a creed or religious doctrines. He's not talking about following a list and, and not engaging your heart. He's talking about the type of godliness that comes not at all from self-effort, but comes from the spirit that lives inside of us. Remember in the introduction to this letter. Let's go back and read this real quick. Remember in the introduction, when we first started this study, Paul told Timothy this in verses 12 and 17, uh, through 17 of chapter 1. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. He said, here's where I was. I was stuck in a worse kind of sin. I was actually opposing the, the name of Christ. I was opposing him, putting people in jail. He said, but God, because he realized I wasn't doing it on purpose, that I didn't know any better, he came and he, he met me. And because of his grace and, and uh, because of the grace of, of the Lord and that meeting that he had with Christ, it changed his life because his, God gave him faith and love. And he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. All right, so first of all, he says this. I have no source of godliness inside of me. Paul was the best of the best of the best of religious people. Everybody know that, right? He studied under the best. He was a Jewish person who grew up in the right kind of family, right kind of neighborhood, had the right kind of training, rose to the top in the Jewish system. All right, and he says, I, was, I realized that as I was at the top of that, I was persecuting. I was in, in direct opposition to Christ. And so here's what God had to do. He had to come in, and I had to have a brand new, I had to have a heart transplant. I was religious, but my spirit was dead. And so Jesus was met 
by God on the Damascus, or, or Paul was met by Jesus on the Damascus road. And, you know, and, and a voice came from heaven and blinded him, and he was transformed on the inside. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, first of all, I want you to know where this change comes from. It's an internal thing that happened. I'm a nobody. Even though I was very religious and, and everybody looked at me and said, wow, I want to be like Paul. I was the worst of the worst. He said, but something happened. The mercy of God looked down at me and he gave me a relationship with, with him through Jesus. Jesus' righteousness was given to me. I didn't deserve it, but he gave it to me. And that internal change caused some outside change to happen. Look at what he says next. He said, I received that mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, the worst of sinners, he says, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. (coughs) Excuse me. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I want you to remember where this started. When we talk about godliness, we're not talking about a list of things to do. We're not talking about being the best of the best in your denomination or following your your doctrines and theology better than anybody else. We're talking about starting with a relationship with Christ, realizing that you are helpless and, and receiving the free gift of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you. And now he says, the reason why that happened is because God wanted to show himself through my life. That's godliness. That form of godliness is what Jesus taught. That form of godliness is contradictory to the the form of godliness we were talking about before. That's for personal gain, for showing off, for for, uh, uh, gathering people around who will hear me and support me. He says a different kind of godliness. So that's godliness. When we talk about godliness, just remember, that's the kind of godliness we're talking about. But he doesn't say that godliness is great gain, does he? He says godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. All right, now we're going to get to us. Okay, it's been fun to talk about everybody else. Now we're going to talk about us. Everybody ready? Y'all spirits sitting up? Your bodies are. Y'all seem to be awake now. That's good. All right, but maybe I put you to sleep. So wake up. Here's where it gets to us. Here's where I've, all week long, it's so crazy. I've, I've told you this, those of you who have spoken to me. I've told you all week long how, how cool it is that we had this message this week because you've been talking to me about this issue of contentment, of walking with God. We, we understand as a church what it means to have a, an internal change that, that results in an outward change. We, we know what that means, to walk with Jesus and to, to, get, to have a, a growing appreciation for his character and who he is because he reveals himself to us when we obey what he says. We know that, but are you content with that? Is, has that been enough for you this week to carry you through your problems? Has it been enough to carry you through the stuff that you've been facing has that really been enough? Have you, can you, in the middle of the worst circumstances, still say, I am content? That's great gain. Walking with Jesus, literally, every day, uh, immersing myself in the Word of God and, and listening to, moment by moment to the Spirit's promptings in my life and following what He says um, and just walking in obedience to God, doing that, with contentment, that being enough. Now, I can tell you, I'm going to tell you my challenges because I want you to hear it first from me and my problems, my issues, are that it, it's, it's, not, it's not enough whenever I'm facing somebody who's challenging me and saying that walking with Jesus is not enough. Somebody theological coming to me and saying, hey, it's not enough. And that's why we talked last week to Christian Studies students about this issue of, of being puffed up. You know, today that's an issue. We get puffed up, especially when we're in college and we're studying biblical studies or Christian, Christian studies. We're, we're studying the Bible and we're becoming ministers and we know a lot about the Bible and we want to give that away to somebody and it puffs us up, making sure that that doesn't happen. Uh, because ultimately having that kind of knowledge uh, doesn't, it doesn't bring contentment. It's godliness with contentment 
being content with the fact that I'm walking with God and I'm obeying what he says. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm in biblical studies and I'm understanding the scripture in his context and I'm understanding the meanings of the words and I'm understanding the original languages so that I can understand the word more clearly. But what I'm enamored with is the person behind the words. It's the presence of God while I'm studying and how he opens that stuff up for me personally and changes my heart and ultimately changes the way I live. Those things, my struggle is when someone comes to me and says, well, that's a bunch of bull because, you know, the Bible says this and I interpret it this way. And then I want to go, yeah, let's get into some arguments instead of just being content with what God's doing in my life and being content with the, the, the basics of the Christian life. Right, just knowing God and, and walking with Him, that's enough. We were talking this morning with some friends about uh, C.S. Lewis's book *Mere Christianity*. If you haven't read that, read it. That's what he says in the book. It's enough. Just the basic truths of who Jesus is and what He's done. Uh, C.S. Lewis didn't claim to be a theologian, but if he's not a theologian, I don't know what I am. I mean, goodness, I've learned so much from reading his stuff. But he's just a man who walked with God and just knows how to communicate well. What it means to walk with God. But godliness with contentment. If you have godliness and you don't have contentment, if you have the kind of godliness that we were talking about prior to this verse, before the but, if you have that kind of godliness, then we're still performance-based to some degree. We can't be content. You'll never be content if you're performance-based. You can't rest. If you're performance-based, if you're, if you're godliness, godliness is based on a list of rules, you can't rest. Second thing, you, if, if you have godliness without contentment, then you don't fully understand the sufficiency of God's provision for you. You really don't. That God has provided for you and, and will provide for you physically and spiritually, which leads, uh, if you don't uh, understand that, that God is the one that provides for you, then you will spend your life in worry and anxiety. You know, I get, just using my example, uh, if, if I'm not content, with what God is get doing in my life and what God's shown me about himself and, and through his word and through the truth, if I'm not content with that and the kind of godliness that comes from that, then I, and when somebody comes and challenges me in some way theologically and says I'm wrong and they're right and, and I worry about that, it, it causes worry and anxiety. That's not enjoyable. That's not great gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness knowing what I believe and walking with God and letting him show himself to me and coming to know him by experience is, brings contentment if I don't worry about the rest of it. And you're the, you might be the same way. These guys, he was describing these guys who are trying to make money teaching the scriptures. You know, they're getting money by it. He says, look, don't do that. He says, that's not great gain. If you're, if you're teaching the scriptures and you're also depending on people to take care of you financially, and so you're doing it in a way that people will give you what you want. That's not contentment. You're still under bondage. You're trying to. You're still under bondage, trying to re, to please people. Paul said the opposite is true. If I get to the point where all I do is I worry about walking with God and teaching what God tells me to teach, then my, I will be taken care of. Now there's contentment. But we got to learn that. And if in, in in your life the same thing is true. I forget the context of it, but this week someone brought up the fact that, you know, they were worried about their finances, about having enough money in their life uh, for things that are coming up in their life. And, you know, that's, that worry is not based on godliness. It doesn't matter what. If you have a plan for your life that requires a lot of money, if it's your plan and that it doesn't result from what God has spoken to you and what God is leading you to do, then you're not going to be content until all the money falls in place for your plan. But if it's God's plan, then you can rest. It doesn't matter what it is. Look, when we went on vacation one time, before Todd's, uh, summer before Todd's junior year in college, our senior year in college, we wanted to, I always wanted to take my kids to Los Angeles. Because they learned how to surf a long time ago, and I, and they, you know, we never. You, there's no place to surf anywhere except Los Angeles, you know, in the United States. So, I wanted to go do that. We were terrible, by the way. Don't think, don't get this picture of us all surfing together. Whoo, yeah, we're catching this one. 
get a picture of the board hitting us in the back of the head and us flipping over on a wave. I was, we were a lot safer when we were where we were supposed to be. But anyway, I wanted to take him over there, and I asked the Lord, prayed about it for a while. I said, God, can we do this? And, and, and God gave me a confirmation on it, and so, and so did he, and gave Talitha the same confirmation. So nothing worked out until right at the end. It wasn't working out. Financially, we couldn't afford it. Then all of a sudden, this package came together. I'll tell you the whole story if you ever want to hear it. Phenomenal story. But we knew that it was God. And we've learned that even in our vacations, you know, if God leads you to do something, God's going to provide for it because that's who he is. He is our provider. But, but godliness that doesn't result, you know, the opposite would be somebody telling me, I can't believe you all doing this exorbitant vacation. And what about the starving people in India? That's, that's godliness without contentment, if I let that worry me, you know, let it bring anxiety. But if God says you can do something, if God wants to bless you in that way, and he does, Paul said, it doesn't matter what my condition is, I'm content. And sometimes Paul did well, sometimes he, he was poor. He lived in poverty, but whatever his state was, as long as he had Jesus, he was good. Everybody getting that? I know, I know you don't get it here completely <laughs> in your heart. I mean, I know we all have issues where we're thinking, I don't fully, I'm not fully getting that. I and mean, you get it, understand it here, but walk it out. Whatever it is that, that steals your contentment away, bring that before God. Do it today as, when we close today, as we have our, our worship time at the end. Bring it to God. The example that he gives in this passage is the, the example of money. For those who are easily... Uh, tempted by satan they're susceptible to satan because they have a love of money is money bad answer me out loud is money bad okay what is the love of money that's the root a root of all kinds of evil loving money is a root of all kinds of evil we all feel it that's why it's such a it's so hard for us to trust god with our finances First Timothy chapter six, verse nine and ten, he says, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Second Corinthians chapter nine. Verses 6 through 15, Paul says this. He says, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteous, righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel in Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. What does godliness like with contentment look like? It looks like this. It looks like this. These people, he said, were confident, not that they were doing the right thing, but they were confident in the God that was leading them to do what they were doing. They were willing to give because they knew that everything came from God. They were totally provided for by God. That's the difference between godliness and a false kind of godliness that was before the butt. Not a godliness that says, I'm going to show people I'm, I'm spiritual so that they'll pay me to be their spiritual leader. But Godliness that says, I'm going to love God. And what? Y'all going to pay me for it? Oh, nice. 
right? God instead says, I'm going to live for God. It doesn't matter. And if I get any gain from it, good. It comes from a heart that's right with God. Now, I'm going to close with this. I want to to give three scriptures that talk about what this looks like. What's it going to look like? Whenever we get this idea that, that we can be content in godliness alone, that we can walk with God, and no matter what our finances are, no matter what, who likes us or doesn't like us, no matter what our job is, no matter if, if we have a, a certain kind of home or certain possessions, no matter what, that we can be content and how awesome that is, how that is great gain. All right, first of all, Paul's life, Philippians 4, 10 to 13. You're familiar with 10. You might not be familiar with all of it. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Now that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What's the secret? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Y'all getting that? Man, what a great example. I've learned, I, look, it doesn't matter. Paul says, I can, I can be in abundance or I can be in need. I can be, uh, have plenty or I can be hungry. And it doesn't matter because I have everything I need in Christ. So one thing we need to recognize is that godliness with contentment transcends circumstances. And you want to talk about taking, some, taking a tool out of Satan's hands? When God produces in us a godliness in every circumstance without any, with contentment, then it transcends circumstances. It doesn't matter what circumstances come up. We are still content. Now that's a great gain. If we can get that, you talk about great gain, Right? Can you imagine not being able to thrown, be thrown off by your circumstances? All right, the second thing, godliness with contentment looks like, again, in Paul's life, Colossians chapter 1, verses 24 to 30. Paul said, Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking of Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister through the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for the ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory, of this, the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy, that powerfully works within me. So not only did Paul continue to did he have contentment that transcended circumstances, it also, he had contentment that motivated him to be obedient even in the midst of trials. All right, there's a big one for us. Are you going to continue to walk with God in the midst of the hardest trials that come in your life? That's contentment with great gain. When you have godliness and you're committed to Christ and and you're growing in your knowledge of him and it is increasing your ability to be able to face problems in life without being thrown off by them. To face some trials, man, some hard times in your life without losing your desire to be obedient to God. You're going to be obedient and it doesn't matter what. Paul said, all this stuff is happening in my life. And I consider it to be Christ, uh, me joining Christ in his afflictions for the sake of the body. I'm going to be obedient to what God tells me to do for the sake of the body. And it doesn't matter what kind of problems I face. And did Paul, was he true to his word on that? Yes, he was. He went all the way through to death as a martyr for the cause of Christ. Suffered all kinds of things in order. I mean, the greatest story is when he's trying to get, uh, trying to make his way to Rome. And all the things that he had to go through in order to, to stay faithful to that. He could have escaped. He was in bondage. He could have escaped, and he didn't because he had a purpose in mind. 
The purpose was what God told him to do. Didn't matter what kind of trials he faced. He was true to be obedient to Christ. All right, and the last example comes out of Peter's life. Acts chapter 5, 27 to 33. He says, and when they had brought them, they set, before, uh, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, we strictly charge you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. When you have godliness with contentment, it can't be controlled by others. Whether you get someone's approval or disapproval, you can't be controlled. You can't worry. You don't worry anymore about what men think. Here's, they were content to walk in what God told them to do, even though they, were, they knew they were facing death. What a great game for us. It's so much better. Than, than, than playing the game of trying to be religious and following rules and the deadness that comes out of that. And how much better is it for us to just pursue God, to, to get to know God, to, to do what God says and see God's activity in our lives and come to know that he is r- really our provider, that he is really the one that, that gives us favor with man if we need favor with man, that he is really the one that brings people into our lives when we need it or that is in control of our circumstances. If you get to know that, it's just like if God physically was walking with you. All right, we close with this. If God's walking with you physically, if you could see him, you knew it was God, and he's walking with you, and he's doing all kinds of stuff along the way. You know, he's, he's doing miraculous things, doing God kind of things. You run out of gas, God... Feels you can car up with gas, you know, makes it come from nowhere. Uh, you know, how much gas you got? Uh, all I got's this thimble, full tank. You know, I'm being a little facetious, okay? Everybody good? But if God was with you and you got to see his power manifested right there physically with you every day, would that change the way you handle circumstances? Would that change when someone said, when God said, hey, we're fixing to go over here and we're going we're gonna to take care of business. And someone said, you're not coming on my property. Would you not go if God said, we're going on that property? You would go, right? And God said, if someone said, man, that's impossible. And God said, no, it's actually possible. Would you go? Yeah, but he said it's impossible. So I, th- I think he's probably right. Don't you think, God? No, you go, God said it's possible, so we're going to do it. And the money's going to be there. And we were walking what God said. We need to start seeing God as a person. We need to start realizing that what I just described to you is in fact true. That God in his spirit lives inside of us, speaks to us, guides us. We need to get in touch with that because that's where true godliness comes from. That's where godliness with contentment comes from. Is walking with him and being satisfied with that and asking God to show us enough of himself. That even though Satan says it's not enough, we will be convinced by our life that it is enough takes time takes time but let's let's commit to that as a church this world is blind to the truth about who god is people need to see god they need to see him in you and in me and the best place for them to see it is in the places where there nobody else has contentment and all of a sudden they see us handling circumstances dealing with people dealing with our life in the way that we uh, we are exemplifying that we know god and god's got it we're not worried about it. It's a process, okay? We know Scripture says it. Scripture says don't worry about anything. God takes care of the sparrows. How is he not going to take care of you? He feeds the ravens, the worst of all birds, right? How is he not also going to take care of you? God tells us that, but we need to start experiencing that. We need to start realizing that it's true. We need to start walking in it and then show it to the people around us. All right, so let's deal with our own lives this morning. Let's pray for a minute before we uh, close with the worship song.
Can we do You Are Good again? That song we did earlier. I don't know what your closing song is, but can we do that? You are good, you are good. Da, 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 da. Yeah, that one. Can we close with that one? Yeah. Didn't we just do that earlier? Yeah, forever, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's do that one instead of the other. I don't know what you got planned for the last one, but I'm just feeling that. All right, now let's pray. Y'all just got to see how church work happens. All right, think about your life. Think about where you are. Think about what it is that that brings discontentment in your life. And ask God, specifically in that area today, to just begin to take that away by showing you the reality of who He is in your life. Just, Just ask God to do that. Ask God to bring you godliness with contentment. If you've been trying to find your your contentment in being good and acting right, that'll never lead to contentment. But if you'll walk with Jesus and let the let the fruit of the Holy Spirit show in your life, you will be content. Father, we have these things in mind and we have your word that we've read today. We have examples, Lord, from Peter and Paul. And Lord, we know that what you're saying is true. And I pray somehow you'll move it from our heads to our hearts this week. That, Lord, you will help us to be content uh, by just walking with you and doing what it is you lead us to do in life. Father, we could experience you and know you in a way that would fulfill our greatest need. We know that's who you are. Father, your goodness and your faithfulness to us is what will ultimately bring contentment. But we need we have a hard time walking that out. So all these specific things that came to mind, God, I pray you'll deal with us in relation to those. That will forever be done with being thrown about by the enemy because of our circumstances, because of others' lack of approval, and because, uh, Lord, because we have a trial but instead that we would be committed, Lord, to walk with you and be satisfied in that. Realizing that your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And we'll find rest for our souls.